Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. Alex White has put together puzzle pieces to create a unique combination of music and data at Next Big Sound and now with Next Big Sound at Pandora. He's going to join us in the podcast talking about that road of adventure to get to where he is now, but also what he's learned, his surprises, and what he sees coming up the road in music and technology. So we launched next big sound august of 2009 so it was almost yeah six years through the acquisition by pandora july 1st of 2015 we announced it a little bit before then in may um we were roughly 20 people on acquisition and now we are 25 and we are mostly engineers data scientists designers technical people and we're still on the same mission that we were at the beginning of taking, transforming the music industry through data and taking all this information that's now out there and available on every artist in the world and making it actually useful to artists, managers, labels, and the industry at large. What inspired you six years ago? How did you start down this path? I've been around music my whole life. My dad's a professional cellist, and I played in bands and worked at a recording studio in high school, and then got much more into the business side of things. And I interned at Universal in New York and Chicago, was stapling sound scan reports together, and you know knew from my time in the music industry that a lot of the new ways that people were interacting with music weren't being captured and recorded. And along with my co-founders, David Hoffman and Samir Rayani, we were obsessed with understanding how bands became popular and unlocking the black box of how a band goes from playing in their garage to headlining a nationwide tour. And we realized that all this public data was now out there, and if we started collecting it and and visualizing it, it could be um, really helpful and informative to the music industry and power a lot of decisions that we saw that were being made um, on gut and intuition that could be informed by all this information. So when you were... Deciding to be this innovative force, what what were your first big surprises? I think innovation is a funny word because it doesn't feel like you're innovating when you're in the middle of it. It feels like you are trying to deal with a sea of ambiguity, make decisions under tremendous uncertainty, rapid experimentation and kind of trying to listen intently to the users and the customers and try to understand, you know, the unspoken needs and wants and desires that, that they have. So for instance, when we first started, I was working with a dozen band managers representing, you know, artists across the whole spectrum of popularity. And I was trying to figure out what our, the biggest problem we could solve for them would be you know, which is innovations, problem solving. And none of them said, hey, can you track all of this activity <laughs> and put it in the dashboard and help me make smarter decisions? You know, none of them said that. It was only once we realized we could track this data and put it in front of them did they validate, like, hey, these numbers are really interesting and we're actually trying to write them down by hand and can you help? I can't, I don't have time to 
make heads or tails of this? Can you help us? And then letting the kind of questions and feedback guide the product from there. So were they the ones who were going to be wanting to pay for this? Yes, they were the first customers. And how did you figure out how to actually sell to them? The question that's beautiful in the B2B world, enterprise world that doesn't exist on the consumer um, facing sites is this magical question, which is, would that be valuable enough for you to pay for? Mm. Mm -hmm. And so people talk all day and, and would give tons of great ideas. And one example is over and over, everyone would say, do you have a mobile app? And I would say, no, we don't. You know, you can look at it in a browser on your phone, but we don't have a dedicated Next Big Sound mobile app. They said, oh, you really should. This is in 2009, 10, 11 when apps were exploding. And I said, you're right, we should. How much more will you pay us per year <laughs> if we have an app? Oh, oh, I, I wouldn't pay extra for it, but I'm sure other people would. And that's like one of the clear signals that, you know, you're not building something that people need um, and cutting to the core of, or forcing them to prioritize a mobile app amongst other development requests. Or, and you can kind of quickly see through the lens of which ones will you pay for and how much, you know, which ones are actually driving the most value for your customers. So you've been exploring B2B in music. Do you think that that is any different than in other sectors? I think the client base of record labels. um, Actually, let me interrupt you really briefly. Now, Alex is speaking as Alex, not as what he does professionally. So this is Alex's point of view on this. Sorry, that was a point to make that quite clear. This is Alex speaking as Alex. No problem. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the I, I spoke yesterday to a bunch of folks from AB InBev who are in an innovation lab within the business. And I think that as disparate as beer and music seem or alcoholic beverages, you know, there's tremendous similarities in the sales process and just like there are three major record labels there are you know a handful you know two to four giant beverage companies that dominate the industry that control retail and distribution outlets um, that need a better understanding of their end consumer instead of just the distributors and retailers in between you know and going through tremendous change in and behavior of their end customer and so I think that the sales process is really is fairly similar across industries. We were able to expand Next Big Sound into the book publishing world, even though I've never met a book publisher before. And we sold successfully into Macmillan and, and other big five book publishers, um, adapting our technology and sales process to them. Now, now if I remember correctly, that was Next Big Book? Correct. Next Big Book. And and so how so was it a similar experience to look at how they were adopting you or was publishing potentially even more kind of both shell shocked and needing the product so they had kind of a different approach? Um, it was fairly similar. <clears throat> In fact, one of our music customers was hired over at Macmillan, which was how that deal initially came about. And I think going you know industries going through dramatic change and and needing a better understanding of 
their business and how all the disparate pieces that beca- had become much more complicated and complex um, fit together and answer the most important questions around which of their marketing and promotional activities are effectively driving sales and how do all these new metrics like Goodreads and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube relate to the metrics they've always used to drive their business around digital and physical sales. So you have switched from being an innovator in your own company and now an innovator in your own division of a larger company. What was your thought process in making that change and have you had any surprises? It's been a really positive and fantastic post-acquisition process. I still have the same team we had on acquisition day and a lot of the same you know, autonomy we had before. Mm-hmm. We were named most innovative company in the music business by Fast Company in 2015 last year. Um, Pandora overall was named to that list this year. So while we don't have our own breakout, you know, a lot of the things we were doing and I guess innovative mindset um, is contributing towards the larger Pandora business. So it's been largely the same. I guess the biggest difference is in terms of bringing those innovative ideas to market once we do have, you know, something that we know works and is is pushing the bounds of, of what's possible and delivering real value. Uh, when we were an independent company, we used to present it to our board of directors and, and brief them on the plan and then go out and execute. And now, obviously, I don't have a board of directors, but I do have a boss, Chris Phillips, the chief product officer, um, and we work closely with him and then the strategy team, the sales team, whoever, marketing, whichever orgs are impacted, um, put together a plan and have the you know, muscle and resources of a large publicly traded company to lean on to help bring things to market and partner and, and drive the innovation through to a scale that was previously unimaginable to us. And in a time where the music industry is changing to almost catch up with the message that you were providing, now that streaming is so pervasive, the data becomes so much more rich and valuable. What other new innovations do you see coming up the pike, either because of the growth of streaming or that you see are even needed in the current environment that you don't see yet? I would bucket it into a couple of areas of, of the kind of exciting, innovative areas. The first would be, I'll call it the unsexy metadata problem with all these streams happening all over the place. There's all these rights that need to be recognized across borders internationally, payments that need to be made, and a whole slew of um, problems that are waiting to be solved in that arena. There's an open music initiative that was recently announced by Berkeley that Pandora and many other big players are a part of, and a lot of promise around um, what could happen if there is unified consensus around metadata, payments, etc. So that's that's not only who owns what rights, but who played in what piece and all of the kind of other heritage pieces of it. What type of data is going to be part of the Open Music Initiative? It's still pretty vague at this point. Um, but the 
you know, songwriters, the publishers, the recorder, recording artists. There was a lot of players and a lot of different um, fields that are sometimes filled out, sometimes not. And everyone across the industry would benefit from more standardization there. So I think that's the one area that more innovation needs to come down the pike. Mm-hmm. Another area I'll bucket into, we'll just call it the live space. I think there's several interesting businesses there. And I'll call out Jukely, which is a subscription concert um, service. 25 bucks a month gets you into a whole set of shows in whatever city you're in. And, you know, really disrupting and pushing the needle around what's possible there. And then within live, I think there's a lot of these bracelet uh, sensors, heartbeat measurement, you know, um, biometrics companies like BioBeats, um, where they're using information from the concert goer to inform programming decisions, lighting, uh, staffing, and a whole host of of decisions at a live festival, where the advertisers and the billboards are, where the which artists play which stages, where the vendors should go, etc. And and we worry about our wearables. Okay. <laughs> so those, I guess, would be two innovation areas that I think about. Excellent. So. You've just shared with us a couple companies to think about that you might be intrigued or excited about. Anybody else that is interesting that you see that's coming up with unique solutions? You know, it's funny. In 2009, 10, 11, I felt like every SF Music Tech or Hack of Music Hacker Day would release a whole ton of, I'd hear about a whole bunch of new apps that were really pushing the needle or changing things. Um and that it kind of, I stopped, and maybe it's my experience level or just being jaded, but I stopped having that, oh my God, that's a really great idea that needs to exist feeling in probably 2013. And most of the ideas I hear on a regular basis are trying to revolutionize how artists and fans connect mm-hmm, or okay. sharing basically a Twitter or Vine or a SoundCloud, but on a more niche basis and you know i think that entrepreneurs would do well to study the companies that have come before them and really understand why they failed because by the time you are the fifth you know routing concerts through your bedroom app or 15th and i'm just picking on that area crowdsource concerts you know you do well to understand why you know, Song Kick's detour project and a lot of institutional reasons why certain ideas have had trouble catching on and growing. I tend to call it the look at the dead bodies on the road uh, problem. Or, and if there's no dead bodies on the road, there's something wrong, too. If no one's tried this and failed, obviously you're missing something that's actually out there already. Exactly. But I think, you know, there's plenty of room for innovation and you know, design-driven thinking and user and business-focused, you know, customer-centric companies out there. You just have to listen, get outside your own head and your own building, and make sure the problems you're solving are real problems. And problems for more than just you. Correct. 
Well, Alex, thank you very much for joining us today. Anything that's coming up the pike that we should keep an eye out for that you're working on? A lot of exciting things coming up for Pandora overall in 2016 and early 2017. Um, there's plenty of big bets that have been placed. You know, the Ticketfly acquisition last year and the RDO asset acquisition last year, you know, have were, were huge announcements and, and bets. And there's a lot of behind the scenes work happening now to to stitch this together in a way that um, you know is, is super beneficial to artists, listeners, advertisers, the music industry at large, and really excited for everyone to see the fruits of, of those bets. Great. And it's been exciting seeing the, the various fruits of your bets that you've been making for quite a while, though. So really excited to have you on, and thank you much for sharing with us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Great. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Many thanks to the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series. You can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in Innovating Music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.